University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Well, good morning. Seems hard to believe this is the fifth day after Christmas. It just seems like yesterday, doesn't it? We had a wonderful Christmas, and I hope all of you did as well. If I were to ask you, what is the favorite, what was your favorite Christmas growing up? I bet it would have something to do with some really special gift you received. So many of our occasions now involve gifts, gifts we give and gifts we receive. You know, in Matthew's gospel, in the Christmas story, the wise men brought three gifts to Jesus. This morning, I'd like for you to think with me about some gifts that Jesus brought to us. A new vision of the character of God, clear guidance on how God interacts with us, and a clear vision of what God expects of us. Let's look at the first gift. What was this new vision? Now, in the Hebrew Bible, we know it has a lot to say about God's compassion. I've picked just a few examples from the law. In every seventh year, you shall grant a remission of debts. I really think we ought to bring that one back. In every 50th year, that was called a jubilee year, all property is to be returned to the original owner's family. When you reap the harvest, leave some for the poor and the alien. these were understood to be a compassionate God's instructions to make sure that there was not a permanently impoverished class in the society and that the poor and disadvantaged were not forgotten. We hear similar words from the prophets, speaking on God's behalf from Isaiah. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And from Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So in the Hebrew Bible, God was seen as compassionate, but you remember there was also a dark side. You remember the death angel, the command to commit genocide, where God God is helping some and destroying others. Jesus was not satisfied with that vision of God. Read the text he gives in Matthew chapter 5. For God makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God treats everyone the same regardless of their moral condition. That's not what we're used to from the law and the prophets. God gives no preferential treatment, no rewards for some and punishments for others. This is a radically new vision of God. There is no dark side to God here. God treats everyone the same regardless of their moral condition. God is compassionate. Jesus said, Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God is perfect in compassion. Now we can see this clearly in Jesus' ministry. He said that you were told to love your 
neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. He healed the lepers. You remember those were the poor outcast people of society, barely considered human beings. Yet in Mark's gospel, we see where Jesus touched one of the lepers. What a powerful affirmation of the humanity of that person. Jesus healed blind people who were usually beggars because they couldn't work. Healing them allowed them to recover their dignity, come back to their families and be productive members of society. He, He healed a woman or saved a woman who was caught in adultery who under the law would have been stoned to death. He healed a Roman centurion servant that he never even met. He healed a Syrophoenician woman's daughter. And you remember he talked to this Gentile woman in a public place in broad daylight in violation of all the social norms of his day. He reached out to tax collectors and sinners. He showed compassion to all sorts of people regardless of their status in life or their moral condition. Why? Because Jesus believed God was compassionate and that God wanted him to be compassionate to people regardless of their physical or moral condition and regardless of their social and physical status. Now, I think this is a powerful gift that Jesus gave us, a new vision of the character of God, a God that is compassionate to everyone. Now, Jesus did talk about judgment, you remember, but the judgment always took place at the end of the age. For this life, where we're living today, God is characterized by compassion, compassion for everyone. We are all loved unconditionally. Now let's look at gift number two, a gift that helps us understand how God interacts with us. Now the old covenant, which was still uh, prominent in Jesus' time, was based on preferential treatment. You remember on rewards and punishments. You can see this clearly if you just go and look at Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, there are 14 verses devoted to the rewards you'll get for obeying all the commandments and 54 verses, almost four times as many, that delineate all the punishments you'll get if you don't obey the commandments. Yet, if you look at the history recorded in the Hebrew Bible, it seems to be a testimony that the threat of rewards and punishments just doesn't work. It does not produce good behavior. Jesus rejected this old covenant. For Jesus, how God interacts with humanity follows directly from the great commandment to love God and others. What is the most basic requirement of love? The most basic requirement. It's free choice. Love cannot be coerced. If God desires us to love God and others, and love requires free choice, then God will not coerce our behavior. God will not change our brain cells to make us act differently. To do so would deny us the freedom to love and therefore deny us the ability to do the great commandment, to obey the great commandment. Surely God does not act irrationally. Let me ask you, 
What do you think your marriage would be like if you knew your spouse had to be bribed to marry you? Would that lend itself to a loving relationship? I don't much think so, right? We inherently know the importance of free choice when it comes to love. Suppose it became known that no one who attended UBC ever contracted cancer. What do you suppose would happen? I think it'd be pretty crowded here shortly, don't you? But after a few years, would we ever really know in our hearts whether we came to UBC to worship God or to just get continued protection from cancer? Would that enhance or diminish our ability to love God? I believe God will always act toward us to preserve our ability to choose freely to love God and others. No coercion. Now, since rewards and punishments are inherently coercive, that means that God will not interact with us based on rewards and punishments. We touched on that even in gift one. We can see this so clearly in the parable of the loving father which Jesus told. You all know the story. The prodigal son insults his father by asking for his inheritance. And as soon as he gets it, he leaves town and leaves the family. Now you'll note in the story that the father did not send his servants to go drag that son home against his will. He didn't send the servants out to bribe him or to threaten him. The father simply waited patiently for the son to come to his senses on his own and come back home with, by his own free choice. When the son did return home, you'll notice the father did not punish him. Okay? You'll notice him, he didn't punish anybody else either, much less have anyone murdered in order to be able to forgive the son. Okay? This is is a picture of a truly compassionate God who does not coerce our behavior. Now there's some obviously some important consequences related to this gift. No preferential treatment and no rewards and punishments means that God has some self-imposed constraints on how God will deal with us. And this is why I believe that God doesn't prevent bad things from happening to good people or to bad people either for that matter. Think of the Holocaust, the Inquisition, and countless persecutions that have taken place down through the years. God will not coerce our behavior so as to prevent us from making bad choices even though they produce suffering. Now, not believing that God doesn't give preferential treatment can also be harmful. I remember Mike Nasser telling me the story one time, looking out at faces in his congregation, particularly one middle-aged lady who had just lost her husband to cancer. And at the same time, there was a man giving his testimony in that church about how he had been miraculously saved from cancer. You could see the pain on her face. 
Jesus said we are all equally important to God. Well, that brings up another question that we need to look at, and that is what about all those stories in the Bible where God acts in cruel ways? Do God's moral values change with time? Was God like that way back then, but by Jesus' day he had quit doing those kinds of things? This raises a really important question. Where do we put our trust? Is is Jesus really our authoritative source for what we are to believe about God? Are we really followers of Jesus when we say we're Christians? Are we followers of Jesus or some man-made tradition? If we trust that God is perfect in compassion, then it's clear that God's moral values don't change with time. So what do we do with those stories? The author of those stories were simply writing their history in a way that conformed to the theology that they understood at that time. But Jesus was not bound by that older theology. Jesus gave us a new and fundamentally different way to understand our relationship with God. This is a new covenant. It's based on a new vision of God and a new way of understanding how God interacts with us. The old theology was based on a particular model. It's a parent, small child model where coercion and rewards and punishments are often appropriate. Anybody who's raised children understands that model. But Jesus said that's not the model we operate with relative to to God. Our relationship to God is based on a different model. It's a parent-adult-child model where coercion is replaced by mutual respect and non-coercive love. As adults, the relationship we want to have with our parents is vastly different from the relationship that we had to them as children. Well, there's some important benefits associated with this gift as well. Number one, we never have to think that we are being punished by God. What a wonderful blessing. Think of all the people who have been told over the years that they're Their uh, suffering, their exile was all caused by God and he was punishing them because of their disobedience. What a burden we don't have to carry. We never need to believe that if we had only been better people that God would have acted differently toward us. My father died with cancer. We prayed for his recovery But, of course, he didn't recover. But, you know, looking back on it, I never once believed that if he or I had just been somehow better people or we had prayed harder or prayed longer, had more faith, gone to church more often, had more people praying for us, that somehow those prayers would have persuaded God to act differently.
If God doesn't respond to our situation the way we hope for, it is never because God is indifferent. It is simply because God does not give preferential treatment. Now these have some important implications for prayer, obviously. Because God is compassionate, we know that God will listen to our prayers regardless of what those prayers are. We can bring God our joys, our hopes, our fears, our desires for God to do something. We can say whatever we want to God, and we know that God will listen. What we have to do, though, is to adjust our expectations of what will happen based on the guidance that Jesus has given us. If we fail to do so, we open ourselves to disappointment, disillusionment, even anger at God. Let me read you what William Barclay says in his spiritual autobiography. And this, I think, is the most important lesson that the years have taught me. I do not think that prayer is ever evasion, that prayer serves, saves us from having to face things we do not want to face and which are going to hurt if we face them. What prayer does is to enable us not to find a way around the hard thing, but to go straight through it. Not to avoid it, but to accept it and overcome it. Prayer is not evasion. Prayer is conquest. Prayer does not offer me a way to es- of escape. It offers me a way to victory. Jesus did not evade the cross. He went through the cross to the resurrection. Now, we've talked a lot about how God doesn't interact with us. How does God interact with us? I firmly believe that God interacts with us through the Holy Spirit. It's that still, small voice that comes to us, urging us and encouraging us to be compassionate and loving, caring children of God. This voice is never coercive. We always have the freedom to respond or not. But this voice is the same for everyone, and I mean everyone on the planet. Because we are made in the image of God, we have some kind of built-in receiver that allows us to hear this voice of God. We know that Jesus heard that voice and was able to respond to it better than anyone. One important thing to remember is we did not inherit this ability to hear this voice from God from the animal world. We were created to be more than animals. Our ability to hear and respond to God's voice is probably the most important thing which separates us from the animal world. So that brings us to gift three. What does God expect of us? And you probably figured this out already. You know, when I was growing up in church, I was told God had a plan for everyone's life. I was also told that if I didn't follow this plan, that I was probably going to be unhappy. Only problem was, I seemed unable to get God to tell me what my plan was. (laughs) I see some heads nodding. To me, this was like being told it was... I had a map to a great treasure and the only path that didn't lead me into the swamp 
was drawn in invisible ink. I found that very frustrating as a young person. When Jesus was asked by the lawyer, what is a great commandment? He said, as you all know by now, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now these two statements are from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. They've been around for a really long time, but no one seemed to put them together the way Jesus did. If Jesus said this summarizes all the law and the teaching of the prophets, surely this is God's will. And guess what? It's the same for everybody. No preferential treatment. Now we might ask, how are these alike? Both involve love, obviously, but I think they're alike at a different level. Since God is compassionate and is limited by what God can do to prevent hardship and suffering, remember the constraints we talked about, when we relieve the suffering of others, we relieve the suffering of God. Or to put it another way, God interprets acts of love and kindness to others as acts of love to God. Therefore, we must be the hands and feet of God in our world. Now you say sometimes we just don't feel very loving. And I think maybe that's why Jesus gave us the golden rule. You know, it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And notice it does not say, don't do to others what you would not like done to you. The rule is not meant to be passive, but is active. Okay, remember the story of the Good Samaritan. This was somebody who took action to relieve suffering. Knowing we are loved unconditionally by God surely should make should be a help for us to love others. As Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, without us, God will not. Without God, we cannot. So those are three gifts from Jesus. A new vision of the character of God, clear guidance on how God interacts with us, and a clear vision of what God expects of us. And you say, okay, what good are they? I think they give us a foundation for a coherent theology that is consistent with what we experience in the real world. They assure us of a God of consistent, generous, and compassionate love. They give us realistic expectations for our relationship with God, and they explain why we must be the hands and feet of God in our world. You know, many of the gifts that we get from others soon wear out. I believe these three gifts from Jesus will last us a lifetime. Let us pray.